You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, you look well-rested. The draft's over. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Uh, I guess uh, appearances can be illusory. I, I'm not well-rested, but I'm more well-rested than I was. Um, I'm feeling good. Uh, I feel like, uh, well, we'll talk about this, but I feel like the Bears did pretty well. And, and just overall, the draft was a lot of fun. Uh, it went off, I'm not going to say without hitches, but um, in a really positive way, it seemed like everybody had a pretty good time with it. And a lot of teams had really good drafts, so that's good to see too. You know, it's been a while since I've had a beer with you. Uh, we did talk on Saturday. We we got to talk about a prospect, uh, cutting a Bears over beers kind of draft episode for the one prospect. But we didn't have a beer, you know, it just uh, not not the time for that. I mean, it was a quick hitting episode. Um, but I'm curious if you brought anything back from Brett's place or you know <laughs> what you have for us today for a beer. No, I don't have beer today. And oh. and this is I have coffee and seltzer. And this is uh, not because Brett was not a good host and didn't give me things to bring back. Um, it is because I've been trying to clean my guts up. And so for 90 days, I get to be very pretty limited in in what I eat and drink. So that means no alcohol, none, zero zip, which is eh, it's a bummer. Um I miss having a good beer on a Friday night. Like I haven't missed it as much as I thought I might, which is also nice. Um, but man, when the week's over and you, you know, you had a good long week and you did a lot of work, it's really nice to go to the fridge and get a great beer. And I just haven't been able to do that, but I'm almost at the end of my 90 days. So, uh, then we start reintroduction and, uh, let's let's hope we get back to the beer train because i do i do miss the flavors and and just trying new beers you know me i i really like to try different beers um and i've been been missing out on that you sort of look longingly as you you know push your cart down the story like oh i haven't seen that that looks good but uh we'll, we'll get back to it what do you have well, um, I'm glad you asked and talked about new beers and uh, certainly a new one to me. I don't know how long this one's been around, but this is a, I mean, talk about incredible can art. So, oh. uh, this is, this is called uh, Milk Stachio and it has a mustachio gentleman at the front. And it, it kind of reminded me of our friend Kent. Uh, yes. Uh, and, and with the, with the top hat, I don't think Kent has a monocle, but he would totally fit in if he did. Um, <laughs> but this is a, a pistachio milk stout brewed with chocolate and it is from uh hop butcher for the world and dry hop breweries i think it must be a a collaboration that sounds amazing actually i i love the pistachio inclusion there i think it's a nice little twist on you know milk stouts have been done there's a lot of them um but i'm yeah 
that I, I love the art. I love the name wordplay. And I love the fact that they included a flavor that um, there's, I don't know. There's a lot of good, like hazelnut beers and, you know, mm. nut flavors in beers. Like you think of um, uh, uh, like uh, nut brown ales. There's a lot of sure. really good nut brown ales. Uh, so it's not an unfamiliar flavor to beer, but in terms of like adding it to a milk style, I think that's awesome. First sip's pretty good. It's from an Il- it's an Illinois brewery, so it is uh, that's winning Park, all the way Illinois. around. Yeah, yeah. And uh, funny is that I actually bought it in Atlanta uh, <laughs> when I was down for the Senior Bowl. I was down in Atlanta for a night, and I was like, "This is cool." And I picked it up, and then I looked at it later. I'm like, "Oh, this is from Illinois. Probably could have got this back home." Oh, yeah, well. probably. All right. Well, let's jump into this. So I'm I'm always curious to hear from your perspective because you've been doing this a while. And through the draft, the lens that the initial lens that you view the league through is the draft. And every year there's something just a little different. There may be some things that you can learn about this particular draft. What did you learn from big picture lessons from the 2022 draft? Oh, it's a great question. And I'm still learning them. It's funny when you're in the heat of it and you're going through each pick as we do, and you're trying to keep up with different teams and, and, um, this year, there was a lot more um, outside input, I'll say, having gone to the Shrine Bowl, um, having talked to a bunch of players uh, and then subsequently their coaches. There was a, so a lot more pings coming in and you're just trying to keep up on the whole thing and, and you lose sight of the the bigger picture sometimes. And then that's what this week is really good for sort of coming home, settling down, not having to scout and, and seeing what everybody else is is noticing and saying. Um, one of the things was there was a big drop off in wide receivers late comparatively this year versus the last like five or six years, the number of wide receivers taken from the fourth to the seventh dropped significantly, like almost two thirds. In some cases, there are many fewer wide receivers taken late. And that to me is really interesting. Do I know what that really means yet? Could it just be the class? No, I don't, but it, it is significant. It, the, that sort of fourth to seventh round wide receiver number is held somewhat constant in the mid to high twenties. And this year it was like 11. Do you so, think that some of those guys got pushed up a little bit uh, into the first day and uh, day one and day two, uh, particularly day two, like a guy like Alec Pierce, who, you know, it seemed like he was maybe floated around more as like a, a third rounder or maybe even a fourth rounder. And then he went in the second. Do you feel like those wide receivers got pushed up? A few of them. I don't think enough to skew the numbers as much as they skewed, but a, a few probably jumped over the line. Uh, but after that, teams teams were a little willing to push those last few up and then they weren't willing to take a chance later. They were much more willing to take chances on other players and really go after those folks in UDFA. And and we'll talk about that as we get to the UDFA pieces. There were some very good wide receivers in UDFA. I was hoping the Bears would uh, pursue them. They ended up going to a bunch of different teams, but there were seven, eight names that I was kind of surprised didn't get drafted, especially in the later rounds. So that's one lesson. Um Another was the I think the league finally wised up about quarterback Um, Hmm. in terms of they there was a lot of talk. And even I said this, that come on, teams always cave for a quarterback. Well, they didn't this year. 
they just flat didn't. They were like, nope. And you can say that that's next year's class. You can say it's the general strength or lack thereof of this year's class. You can talk about risk or position or whatever else. But by and large, teams did not cave for quarterback uh, up to a couple of rounds early, which many teams usually do. And I think teams have looked back at the value of doing that or the <laughs> relative lack of value of doing that, the opportunity cost. Uh, of taking a quarterback that's just not that good early. I'm thinking about the EJ manuals of the world that everybody right. kind of went, Oh, you know, the Christian ponders. Everybody's like, Oh boy, really? And the teams just said this year, Nope, we're not going to do that. Um, that was another one I'm trying to think of any other, like, well, let me, let me broad stroke. Go ahead. Bring, bring that in there because what's interesting about that is last year, one of the things that we heard about the quarterback class last year was like it was really strong. There's a lot of really interesting quarterbacks. Obviously, the Bears got one of those guys. And part of the the, the discourse around that was, hey, next year's not looking that great. And a lot of times that's one of those things that you hear a lot, and you're like, oh, Yeah, but you know, you get another year, you know, a Joe Burrow comes out of nowhere, you know, you just you get these guys that just elevate their game they become hot prospects, you know, don't worry about it. This year it actually happened, you know, because, because again, last year they said, eh, the 2022 quarterback class doesn't look good. And it really didn't. And then like you say, those three, there was three guys that were kind of talked about as being potential first rounders. And then, you know, Desmond Ritter even kind of was, was talked about as maybe the fourth guy. And, you know, I, I was at the senior bowl and I watched those quarterbacks yep. and I was not impressed with any of them. Like they were not impressive specimens at all and i thought well you know you've got a guy like malik willis who's you know seems to have a very you know interesting toolsy kind of of set but like very raw is that really someone that you want to take a first round pick with Pickett's ceiling seems really low um is that really someone that you want to take you know your first round pick with and where they ended up going, I think is fine, right? Yeah. I mean, I think Pittsburgh's a really good landing place for a pit quarterback, um, and <laughs> number twenty overall. And and I think that where the the guys landed later in the draft make a lot of sense. They don't have to play right away. Yeah, and it's a combination of the guys that were left, and like you said last year, people were saying, "Hey, the the class wasn't that strong," and that was with five other guys that didn't end up in this class. So Spencer Rattler was talked about. Um, in high praises as a top round quarterback. Um, Kedon Slovis from USC, who's since transferred to Pitt <laughs> for next season, uh, was in that conversation. Phil Jerkovic from Boston College was definitely thought going to be a, a senior bowl guy and, and a draftable prospect. He got hurt, went back. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA, people were divided on him, but he was big and athletic, had a pretty good season, decided again to go back. Uh, and the other one, the sort of outlier that sort of flew up boards and had a lot of people interested was Jay Kaner from Fresno State. And all five of those guys decided to go back for different reasons. And that really kind of kicked the legs out of this quarterback class. You had the, the five guys left at the top that we talked about, you know, a lot in the run up to draft season. But all of those guys would have added extra elements, extra choices. We would have seen a few of them at least picked in the first probably three rounds had they stayed in, but they all went back to school. So you just never know. And we're hearing the same things about next year, right? Everybody's like, oh, wait till next year. You're going to have CJ Stroud and you're going to have Bryce Young and you're going to have that. Maybe <laughs> right. you might, 
Uh, it looks okay right now. Will Levis is another name that's getting kicked around. Um, you know, you never know with quarterback class. It could be super strong. We could have all those guys plus a bunch of folks like Hayner that kind of shoot up out of nowhere. Um, the kid for BYU is pretty amazing. So it's it just you don't know until the run up and, and guys make their decisions. And then you sort of look at what's in the basket and go, all right, like, you know, there are always teams that need them, but are we going to take a chance or are we going to do something to get us through this year and then look at next year? Well, let's hold that thought to the 2023 talk because I want to circle back to that. But let's talk about Ryan Poles and how he handled his first draft. So, you know, live ammo. Here he, get, he goes. Yep. He gets to run his first draft. He's been part of plenty in the Kansas City system, but this is the first one he runs. He doesn't have, you know, the most draft capital ever. He, he doesn't have a first round pick that First round pick, where's number one already? Uh, Justin Fields. Uh, he did acquire a second round pick for Khalil Mack. But overall, like before we get into any sort of specific player talks, and, and I should say that you had an excellent appearance on uh, Bill Zimmerman's uh, podcast that just came out earlier this week. Go listen to that if you want EJ to deep dive. We'll kind of fill in the gaps. I don't want to have you repeat everything that you talked about with Bill, but I, I wanted to talk specifically about just how you felt Ryan Poles did on his first draft. Yeah, I thought he did pretty well. Uh, there was a lot of things, and I, I think you can give credit for the positive and the negative, the things he did do and the things he didn't do. Right. Um, and I'll start with the things he didn't do. He didn't reach for the most part. He didn't get I think as Bears fans were a bit preconditioned to to the regime locking in to quote unquote their guy mm -hmm. and saying gotta have it and I, I think we're all just a little bit nervous about that quite frankly and it didn't happen um, they stayed with their board now you can agree with their board or disagree with their board that's fine but in terms of value they seem to have stayed with their board uh, so they didn't reach they didn't panic uh, they didn't trade up uh, for the most part. Uh, so that's all the things they didn't do in terms of the things he did do, um, went with the best player when they were there up high, even though it wasn't a popular decision. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, the night before the draft, we're sitting around and saying, what do you think they do? Well, okay. We're brass tacks. Like it happens, happens tomorrow night. Like, what do you think they do? And I kind of had a range in my almost worst case was like, I hope he doesn't take a guard, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we a, talked about that before a, the draft. A guard would be super safe, and he's a former right. offensive lineman, and there is a, I don't want to call it a stigma. It's just an increased weight around your first ever draft pick, and if they bomb, that sticks with you forever, and if you're picking a really risky pick in the, it's not the first round, but it's your first pick, high second round, then you pick a quarterback, and they bomb out, or you pick a wide receiver, and they bomb out, it okay first draft pick ever was garbage like that just stays with you um so i was worried he would do that the middle was i hope he gets a good player at a good spot that's a need and that's pretty easy because the bears were only without about three position needs you could say they didn't really need edge they're not going to take another quarterback high because they have justin which is great uh, because again if you look at this draft as justin kyler gordon Jaquan Brisker and Bellis Jones in the top three rounds, like people are like, yahoo. And that's essentially what it is. Um, so, you know, and then the, 
the other sort of like, well, he could is he he reaches for a position that everybody's been banging the drum for, which is wide receiver. I'd predicted a wide receiver run. We saw it. We actually saw it earlier than I thought it was going to happen. And if he had said hell or high water, not necessarily a guy, but a position and gone wide receiver, he wouldn't have gotten the value he did at 39. Yeah, a couple things there. Like a while back when Zion Johnson looked like he was, you know, maybe an early second round uh, kind of guy. You know, again, guy I saw at the Senior Bowl, saw him immediately, and I was like, well, that's a guy. Well, that's a Dan. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I remember people like, oh, yeah, the center. I'm like, eh, I think I'd I I want him at guard. And that looks like what he's going to be doing for the Chargers. Um, but I thought, well, that's a perfect first pick for a guy like Ryan Poles because, you know, BC offensive lineman, here you go. You know, it's kind of perfect as a need. Um, looks like a guy that's got you know, a really high ceiling ends up, ends up going, I don't know what 19th overall or something like that to the chargers. So wasn't yeah. even, uh, wasn't even in, in the ballpark of, of pick 39, but um, yeah. I, I, I'm going to ask you one question because it just came to me and it's a really good one. Who was the first pick in this draft? where you sighed a huge sigh of relief because the bears couldn't pick them anymore. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> there's always a couple. It, <laughs> probably pick 33, right? The, <laughs> the, the, the three technique Logan Hall. Yeah. 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 yeah Logan it, was mine. Logan was okay. please. I, I think he's a fine player. Please, please don't pick him. Like I, you know, he's, he's good and he is ascending, but I just, it didn't line up with where I thought they were. And it, when there's always a couple names that when they go off the board, you're like, sweet, not an option. <laughs> right. Right. And that was the one. Yeah. I, it was, uh, it, it came off early. Right. So we were doing the live stream, Robert and I and, and Jacob and Lester was in and out, you know, all that. And, and, and that was the first name that came off the board. You know, so we had just started like Robert and I were like, 33 minutes into this thing and that came off the board and i was like oh okay good <laughs> sweet i don't have to talk about him as the bears pick sweet uh, uh well i i uh i think that overall for me um i was a little surprised to not see an early trade down and i was curious to see if he would be it's my first draft you know things are f- flying around I, I you know maybe maybe i'm not that comfortable um but day three you know he did uh you know take those those picks and, and multiply them by moving down the board. That was good to see. It needed to happen. He needs more bodies. He needs more shots at it. And I liked and liked what he did. And we, we can get into that a little more here in a minute. Um, so he's shown us that he could do that right now. You know, can he move down early with earlier picks? Can't does he is he going to feel comfortable moving up and moving up for the right reasons? Right. I mean, sure. being good at drafting and move, is, in my opinion, feeling comfortable moving around the board. And, and I, and I'm very curious to hear what you thought of our neighbors up North uh, with, uh, Kwesi, um, Adolfo Mensa yeah. and his, he, the Vikings did not make a pick at their original slot selection. They traded all of their picks and he moved up and down the board the entire time. And now he's a former wall street trader, but he clearly felt comfortable trying to pull value at, um, by trading down and i i would suppose in his mind trying to capture that value by trading back up for wherever the late run was on his board and and i found it to be a very and i don't know that the vikings had a good draft or a bad draft or whatever but i found his ability to do that very interesting and i and i'm curious to hear what you thought and you know your thoughts on polls going forward with that yeah he was 
I mean, obviously, I don't know if that's actually ever happened before. I don't believe can't be right. (laughs) I don't believe that it has. So um, he was, you know, obviously extremely active. And I was most interested in the ups, like the downs. I understand. I think the logic of trading down is pretty well understood, especially in a draft with a pretty even talent level that extends, you know, we call it a long tail, right? That, hey, a guy that you could get in the mid third is really not that much different than a guy you could get in the mid fifth. So why not move back and pick up picks? But the counterpoint to that was in this draft, trading up was not as expensive. Teams were not getting as much, almost typically they were multiple trades I saw go off the board where people were moaning, ah, oh, they should have held out for more. I'm like, that's the going rate right now. We we might not understand it because we haven't seen it before. And again, as you know, trading draft picks, especially in the NFL, is very traditional. There are a couple of different charts that people use, but outside of that, that is established value and, and people don't really want to want to quibble or haggle or anything else. And we've seen some trades, but they're few and far between where one team really fleeced the other in terms of value. Everybody pretty much sticks to the chart, one or the other. This year, multiple trades went off the board and lots of people said they didn't get what they quote unquote should have. And the answer is because it's not worth as much, right? It is a flexible value. And that was why those trades up by the Vikings were really interesting to me because that's where you're taking advantage, right? Hey, trading up doesn't cost as much right now. What can we get if we do it? We've added value trading back a couple times. Let's use this, we'll call it a market inefficiency since you're talking about being a trader and see if we can't squeeze a little extra value out of the board that typically we wouldn't get. So I was more fascinated by the ups uh, than the downs. Um, and overall, just that fact that what usually costs a very set or segmented price was up for sale this year and it didn't cost that much. Yeah. And I think people complaining about Ryan Poles not moving down. I understand. I mean, I we were on a live stream and I expected one of those picks to be traded back from. But it, I think that he probably it's his first draft and he was probably sitting there thinking, well, if I'm not getting the full value on this chart, then why would I move back? This is my first draft. I'm not going to get taken advantage of. I'm not some sucker. I'll just sit here and I'll take the guy on my board who I really like, and I'm not going to move back for you know 85% of expected value. I'm, I'm just not that interested in that. I think it was a combination of that, and he had commitment about at least the two guys at the top. Like He was very secure in their position on his board and said, you know, you'd have to really blow me away because I love this guy and you might not. So I'm completely comfortable. It wasn't a settling kind of a thing. It was like a plus and a minus. The plus was I love the player. The minus was I might not get what I would normally get. from. So why would I? Because I love the player. I'm just going to pull the trigger. Right. Makes total sense to me, you know, especially when the dust settles and you can kind of see it that way. Well, let's talk about day two. So uh, again, you, you talked a lot about this stuff with Bill. I don't want to. I don't want to rehash mm-hmm. too much. But Kyler Gordon, cornerback out of Washington, so your backyard. So you're probably pretty familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is an easy sell for me. Like this is not something that you really have to sell. A cornerback's a premium position. It's incredibly important. There are far fewer good corners in the league than there are, say, wide receivers on the other side. And those wide receivers just keep coming in waves, right? So. Kyler Gordon to me is a, you don't have to sell me on it. Um, A lot of the talk and a lot of what Bill had a problem with was Jaquan Brisker. Mm -hmm. And I want you to talk a little bit more and I want you to sell me 
brisker a little bit. Is this my agent of chaos? Is this my Antoine Winfield Jr.? Yeah, he can be. And the cool thing about Brisker is he's, well, there are many cool things about Brisker. He played at a great program. He is a great athlete, not a surprise for Penn State. They turn out great athletes like pennies. They, they come out every year. Um, plays with a lot of fire and passion. So uh, what you remember and love about Adrian Amos, also a safety from Penn State, you will also love about Brisker. He will come up and hit you. So your agent of chaos around the line, you will have. My favorite thing about Brisker besides that passion and energy and and smarts quite frankly he's also a very smart player is that he had a very balanced usage at penn state and that was not the case for all the top safeties in this draft some of them had very skewed usage in terms of alignment throughout their college careers um a guy that many people were excited about at the senior bowl and a lot of people wanted for the bears and who i think is a great player is jalen petra out of baylor jalen petra is a nickel corner like by alignment, he has like 1100 snaps at nickel. He has like 300 something snaps as a box safety. And he has 16 snaps in his career at Baylor deep, right? Like that is not a guy that you can play comfortably immediately in the pros in a too high shell. Like <laughs> that's not going to work. He's a great athlete. He is an agent of chaos. He is amazing, but he doesn't have that balance. And if you have followed Eberflus's defense, uh, with the Colts, like it was about balance with their safeties. They had good safeties, but they, you know, they will play, you know, cover three single high safety, but they also like to rotate and play too high. They need safeties who are somewhat interchangeable. Cool thing about Brisker is he can rotate down in the box. He has 600 and something snaps there of experience. You can, you can rotate Eddie down in the box and have him back singly. If you need to, he has 600 and something snaps deep. So it's very balanced. Um, great passion, great energy, uh, very speedy, uh, people might say slightly undersized, but it's only slightly. It's the fact that he's not six two two twenty, right? It's just about six foot, just under 200 pounds, but right there. And you'd never know it in terms of him hitting you. So the player is going to be a really easy sell. There's a huge hole for the bears, right? It was the only other hole in the roster that was an absolute actual hole, just like right guard. There was nobody there. And you can say Dane Krachank, a uh, Dane is a, Dane is a tight end eraser. He is a slot and big slot cover guy. I love him, but he is not the equal to high safety. If you look at how he's been used since he entered the league. So this was a legit like, okay, who are you going to line up? And Brisker is not just some guy. He's one of the best safeties in this draft. And, and I said on Bill's show and before the draft, most system agnostic safeties in this draft because he does have that balance of playing forwards and backwards. So the player sell is really easy. The value sell is more difficult. It's a safety right. in, in round two. Like, could you have gotten a safety later? And the answer is, yeah. We talked about a lot of guys in the lead up to the draft that could have been very good next to Eddie. As good as Brisker? No, not quite, but 80, 85%. You know, the JT Woods, the Tyson Andersons, there's, there's a lot of safeties that could have played well. So the opportunity cost of taking a safety in the second, I get it. I understand that people say, you know, give me a, give me a tackle, go give me Bernard Ryman and give me a, a better option at left tackle uh, than Braxton Jones. Uh, give me one of the wide receivers that's there. I, I didn't love the value that was there at wide receiver. Um, you know, give me a, give me a higher edge than Dominique Robinson. I, I love Dominique Robinson. I think the value is great. We got a chance to talk about that during draft weekend, but I understand that people say it's safety, it's defense, second pick in defense in a row. Like it just 
quote unquote sends a message. I don't buy that because you started the draft with two and a half good players in your secondary. Mm-hmm. You had Jalen, you had Eddie, and and maybe you've got half a share of Thomas Graham, right? He could be good. He could not be good. He looked good at the end of last year. You legit need three corners and three safeties to play. Right. right. And you had two. Right. Like everybody's like, well, it's offense. Offense is just sort of the knee-jerk reaction offense. And I'm like, okay, you want to spot the opposition 31 points a game? Because <laughs> that's about what you're going to get if you go in with two, one great pass rusher, one developing pass rusher in Gibson, a rotational guy in Dominique Robinson, some decent guys at defensive tackle, but no, no killers there. Like, so I would say your pass rush is going to be good at best. Like you got Muhammad who's, you know, right. s- system guy. You're, right? you're going to be, it's going to be good, but it's yeah. not going to be yeah. like, it's not going to be one of those like, Oh, this is, this right. is the max not here anymore. anymore. Right. Yeah. And you've got two guys in what should be a six man, you know, secondary rotation. You're going to give up a touchdown a quarter. Like you're going to spot them 28 to 30 points a game. And if that's the case, nobody's going to care that Justin throws for 300 yards and three TDs. He's going to get beat by 20 every week. And people are going to go, it's over. Like he's terrible. He's losing. Right. And so, you know, you had holes, you had good players on your board. You took them. The secondary looks a whole lot better after the draft than it. You know, you've got two legit outside corners now. That that enough. We we've talked about this on Bears Over Beers all last year. They got lucky. Like <laughs> right. if Jalen had turned a knee, you would have been starting Kendall Vilder and maybe Thomas Graham earlier in the season. You would have been getting boat raced every week. And it didn't happen. They got lucky, but you can't polls knows this. You can't do that two years in a row and just hope that you know comes up heads again. Um so the secondary is in much better shape. I feel better about that. I understand folks that say safety and I understand folks that say defense, but you know, what's the alternative? I think what I liked about the brisker pick because he was so versatile and you know, the more I've learned about him, the more I've liked him. First of all, I think it's going to be second quarter, first game and Bears fans are going to be like brisker, right? They're going to yeah. love this guy. He's going to blow somebody up. And yeah, I mean, it is, gonna it's going to happen and people are going to love this guy. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that part, but what I really liked about it, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's the rug. It's the dude's rug. Like he really ties the room together because yeah. all of a sudden now Crookshank makes a lot more sense. Yeah, because right? now you got big <laughs> big nickel where you throw three safeties out there. Crookshank For makes sure. a lot more sense, right? And now you, you know you hope that Eddie can return to form because he's got someone who is hopefully going to be as good as Adrian Amos. You know, maybe better. He's a little bit more better athlete than Amos is a really good athlete. I know, I think he never got credit for that, but you know, Brisker's maybe a, a touch better of an athlete, a little touch faster, a little bit better to uh, to be able to serve as that free safety role you know, in, in those cases. And then you have those two corners. Plus you have Thomas Graham who's, who's coming along and you, and you hope that he can contribute. So all of a sudden your, your secondary looks really solid. People say, ah, secondary doesn't matter. Who cares about defense? Give up 40 points. How can you honestly evaluate Justin Fields if game scripts always out of hand, right? You can't. Like, you can't. And so you it can't. all works. It's a football game. It's a football yeah. team. This is a gap year that's coming up, guys. I mean, it uh, it is what it is. We're going to make the best of it. But 
you can't properly evaluate Justin Fields if he's in negative game scripts either, right? So, so yeah. there's a lot that saw, has to go on here. I saw a lot of national voices screaming about how terrible the Bears' offense is, and it is. Like, in terms of personnel on paper, the Bears are bottom five in the league easily. Like, you're, that's not even a discussion. Like, if you look at who they have along the line and at the skill positions, like, forget it. They're, they do not measure up with, with anybody. Uh, but the answer is, what did you want them to do? Neither did the back end of the defense. Neither did the offensive line. You know, it, it, there were so many holes and not enough picks. We knew this was the case. He traded down. He got extra picks. But you can't fix it all. And if you're giving up, you know, a 30 or 40 burger every game, that's going to last like five weeks before people go. And just, again, forget, conveniently forget and go, ah, Eberflus sucks. Justin Fields is a wreck. Like, they're getting boat raced every week. Like, it's all, burn it all down, right? And, you know, it, it sounds good now to say offense, offense above everything, offense or else. And then you get boat raced all of September, October, and you go, oh, well, I guess we're just playing all the young guys for developmental reps, so. I want to real quick touch on Valus Jones Jr., uh, mm-hmm. wide receiver out of Tennessee. You know, spent the first part of his collegiate career at USC. Guy that just didn't really break out until late with the coronavirus. Uh, was given an opportunity to have a sixth collegiate season, which you just mm-hmm. do not see. Um, obviously, he reached a peak athletically that allowed him to um, finally break out at, at, a, at a quite an advanced age relative to a lot of collegiate athletes, and that's kind of the big you know, hit on him right now. People say, well, he's an old rookie. Here, Here's my take. And again, you address this with Bill. Um, my, my take is that this guy's not going to improve very much athletically at this point. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just science. That's just nature. Maybe pro strength and conditioning program can maybe get him a little bit more. But he's coming in with an elite <laughs> ability. Straight line speed is elite. Uh, you know, his his 40, his get off his you know, the, the, the 10 yard split, the 20 yard split, the 40. All of that was elite, elite, elite levels. And and this is so this is a guy that knows how to run. He he will run away from you. He will create separation. What does Justin Fields do really well? Goes the ball deep. Right. And so a couple times a game, you know, he can he can gain the value of a third round pick just by running those routes and having those targets, right? And, and they don't even have to be all catches. They can be drawn pass interference. You know, they can be keeping the defense honest by stretching the field, opening it up underneath for Mooney. So there are paths for Valus Jones Jr. to recoup his third-round draft pick value. The idea that, well, he's going to be 29 years old when he comes up, who cares about a second contract? That, that does not matter. We're, we're talking about what he can do with his first four years and he's athletically there to be able to contribute and contribute on special teams. Is it a reach? I don't know. It felt a little high at the time, but you look back at the draft and all these wide receivers were taken. They were pushed up. And then, like you said, there was a bit of a cliff. So I think it's fine. It's it's maybe not ideal, but it's fine. And it's a guy that's almost certainly going to contribute right away. Yeah, I don't know about the not ideal you know people can argue about flavor and they always will with wide receiver right it's not the flavor i wanted i wanted right. taller i wanted outside i wanted faster i wanted quicker i don't I know how you better. get faster <laughs> yeah i wanted better hands whatever it is with with wide receiver there's always going to be i wanted a different one and i get that and those arguments are valid like you, you can have those what you get in Velas jones is a guy that is very fast 
generally played in the slot is also big. He's 200 right. pounds. This is not, there were a lot of guys in this draft that were 178, 185, 189. Like he is a solid 200 pounds. Uh, and you don't need him to run deep. He's not necessarily actually the greatest deep ball receiver. Like if he's got three yards of separation and you put it in the basket, sure, anybody can do that. But you can get the same reception on a four-yard slant because if he has a step on a four-yard slant and they're in man, good luck. Right. If if Justin puts that ball in front of him and he doesn't break stride, you're going to have all the same trouble catching him that you would if he was running 20 yards downfield and they chucked it to him. Um, the other thing is a very strong special teams resume, and he has the size to hold up. I see him as a very good fourth wide receiver starting right. off, and some I folks agree. might say, oh, well, you know, hey, uh, pick 71, it shouldn't be a fourth. Well, come on. You're talking about, I realize it's the third pick for the Bears. It is the third round. It's 71 overall. You look at who else was available. He gives you special teams right off the bat. By the way, the special teams units on the Bears are going to be freaking lit. We'll talk about that a little bit. I'll that take it. Just, <laughs> just the return yeah. competition in right. camp. There's like seven guys in camp that are like legit fire returners, and Vellis is one of them. Um, and again, you're going to be lining him up on a fourth corner, right? Mm -hmm. There are not a ton of third or fourth corners, you know, second nickel, whatever you want to call them, that can run with Vellis Jones. And there's not a lot of them typically at that position that are big enough to cover him physically because he's 200 pounds. So he, he's not an automatic mismatch, and he's not the sharpest route runner. That's where he can improve. The, right. People talk about the physical being topped out. Great, well, Fine. He's really fast. He's really big. He doesn't need a whole lot more physically. He can get better with setting people up in routes. So can all the receivers in this draft. And you're going to get some breakout plays where he just outmuscles or outruns a third or fourth corner because he's bigger and faster than them. Yeah, to me, he reminds me a little bit of Cordero Patterson. I, from an athletic standpoint, I, I think that there's uh, there's some similarities there. And I know that they both went to Tennessee. That's not the only yeah. reason, but mine was Ayuk. Yeah, yeah, mine was yeah. Brandon I, I get that. Yeah, I get same that. thing. I, Special teams, they compete for Yak. Uh, their their routes weren't great. Like Ayuk was a better route runner, and I think he was a better jump ball deep receiver coming out. But that's also why he was drafted you know, more highly, but I, sure. there's similarities in what they do after they get the balls in their hands. So let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about day three UDFA thoughts and the 2023 draft. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, AJ, so let's talk about day three. So day three was really cool in my mind. So uh, Poles trades back a few times. As a He's, former offensive lineman, day three was cool. And he just stacked it, man. He was just like, <laughs> I like one of this guy, and I'll take one of this guy, and I'll take one of this guy. And I think that one of the things that really came into focus really in day three was, again, our good our good friend Kent, uh, Math Bomb on Twitter, um, he puts together the relative athletic score and I like to go run to it. It's, it's, it's not the be all end all, but it's, it's something that I think is interesting. You get an idea of athletically how they tested, you know, obviously there's the film component. I think that there's, uh, you know, a blend of, of these things that, that the scouts and, and GMs kind of take into account, but you looked at their day three picks and the, the guys along the line, they all tested incredibly well. These t- offensive linemen were, really high testing guys. And that that's what really stuck out to me. So again, you, you talked with Bill about some of these guys, but just day three overall, what'd you think about the approach and what, what did you think he, uh, about what polls was able to bring away from day three? Yeah, I love the approach. I love trading back in a, in a draft again, that has a very sort of equal talent level, especially later. Uh, I, hatched that theory between day two and day three and launched our live stream with, I think he's going to trade back because we've all been pounding the table that for months. He didn't do it in the top rounds, which is where a lot of us hoped he would do it, but I don't think he's not going to do it. He did it multiple times, which was cool. And I said, I think he's going to go all offensive line. Like, I don't think people were still like, Oh great. He'll have extra picks. He'll get the wide receivers. I was like, I don't think he's gonna, like, I think he's going to draft the offensive lineman. I said this before day three on our live stream and, you know, he gets four of them. And I said, and then I think he's going to fill up wide receiver and tight end in UDFA and remaining FA. And again, within the first hours, there were five wide receivers signed to Chicago's UDFA roster and a, and a pass catching tight end. So he followed the script. Um, what he came away with Braxton Jones is really interesting. I, I spent some time last night watching the Southern Utah state game versus the Eastern Washington game because one of their UDFA tackles <laughs> came from Eastern Washington. So you got to see Braxton Jones on one side and you got to see Tristan on the other side. Um, uh, is it Tristan? I want to get his name right. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Tristan Taylor. Uh, now I hope Tristan Taylor moves inside after watching him last night. Um, he is another good athlete. He's a good athlete, but he is not agile. Yeah. Like he is big. Like he's, he's not hard to find on the Eastern Washington field. It's like, which one? Oh, it's that guy. Like he's a big dude. Um, and so I think he'll be fine at guard because he just did test really well for his size, but he is not a guy I want in space against pass rushers. Braxton Jones, on the other hand is, he is also a very big guy, but watching his pass sets and the way he remains balanced over his feet, the way he uses his length and his hands to kind of absorb on the edge and then just really envelop and kind of be like, well, you're done. We're not, we're not going anywhere uh, is impressive. Uh, he's also very quick out of his stance. 
So while I wouldn't call him the greatest run blocker right now, he can move like he can run tackle pulls. He there were some interior pulls that Southern Utah ran where he was kind of replacing the center. The center was shuffing off uh, basically to the right and he plays left tackle and was basically coming to the center hole and filling that on a reach block a little bit backwards, but was able to do that pretty easily at his size. He has good, quick two or three first steps. So I think they will try and play him at tackle. Um, Obviously a guy they liked for that. Dominique Robinson, we talked about when he was drafted, amazing athlete. And I think slots into the edge rotation right now. Like he's going to be a rotational guy. Zach Thomas. I really like, I watched a little bit more Zach Thomas today uh, because I was going through UDFA running backs and the SDSU running back was drafted uh, by Detroit, Greg Bell. And so I got to see a little bit more of Zach Thomas playing tackle for San Diego state. And he's, I think he's a guard. I think he's actually going to be in competition for that right guard spot. I I like that pick a lot. That was one uh, I'd seen him pre-draft and I thought, okay, like that's the, that's the right guard spot Um, or at least competition for the right. Athletically very, very close to Cody Whitehair. Yeah, that guy can move very close to Cody Whitehair coming out. So that yeah. that was that and was and strangely point. played the same position Cody played, same same trajectory in college. Yep, yep, very interesting. Yeah, very interesting to me. Um, Tristan Ebner is a fascinating pick because people talk about running back, but uh, has special teams value and also has receiver value. Like started as a wide receiver, played wide receiver, quarterback, and running back in high school, um, and looks. Every bit like a wide receiver, he's 5'10", he's over 200 pounds, runs good routes, and it's very obvious when he catches the ball that this is a guy that has experience running routes and catching the ball, not just as a running back. Um, now, you know, are they going to flex him out? I, we'll see, but he gives you speed. Like, Baylor guys are running back fast, and Tristan Ebner is no exception. If you are not in front of him after he makes his cut, you're in trouble because he is fast. Um, and that's going to help in the return game. If it's me, I'm running three angle routes a game to Tristan Ebner. If that's all I do with him mm-hmm. besides special teams, I'm good because he's going to break one. Somebody's right. going to put a linebacker on him. He's going to have a step. Again, it's not the most elusive guy, but he is fast. And if you get him an angle route and the linebacker loses a step, he's going to go 25, 30 yards easy. So interesting pick. Um, they go right back to the offensive line. Well, Doug Kramer. Everybody asked me about Kramer. Like, did you watch him? Did you watch him? And I was like, no, I didn't watch him directly, but I watched his tackle. Who's a guy we interviewed at Shrine Bowl, but Darian Lowe, um, who's a great dude. Um, but he didn't stand out. And I mean, Kramer didn't stand out on that tape, good or bad. He just, he was kind of a, okay. And everybody's like, oh, he's an Illinois guy. He's a great athlete. I was like, yeah, well, his tape was, uh, they saw something, but his tape was kind of meh. So didn't love that pick. But again, we're talking about the end of the sixth round. Um, And then Jatiri Carter is a guy that had a lot of buzz early in the process. He was a senior bowl invite and everybody thought that was well and good. And he, I I don't know, he underwhelmed a little bit technique wise, the senior bowl, but he's still who he is. Like he is a big, powerful dude that is going to slot in at that right guard spot, try and move people. He's a very good athlete, as you mentioned. And, you know, I think it's him and Zach Thomas fighting with whoever the Bears are stacking up as incumbent at right guard that are just going to rotate and they're going to play the best one. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I want to move on to the well, real quick. Elijah Hicks already yeah. kind of establishing himself as a fan favorite. That guy yeah. looks like he's you know Energizer Bunny, uh, uh-huh. and ready to go. So uh, excited about him. Obviously, you know, special teamer. You know, guy guy that's uh, yeah, but he's got that way. he's got DB versatility, and and right. that's the class. Like we know this player is Bears fans, right? This is Sherrick McManus. This right. is DHC. Like the sort of, well, can he play corner? Well, a little bit. Does he play safety? You know, deep line? Well, a little bit. Like, does he play special right. teams? Oh, yeah, he plays special Those teams. Those guys stick around. Right. And that's Elijah Hicks if he can stay healthy and he has that versatility. He's got a little bit of nickel corner in him. He can definitely play box and, and screw things up, but he can play single high and did at Cal sometimes too. So interesting fit in terms of like down low, Grabbing a guy with a ton of experience, you can play him in two or three places. Like that's a it's a glue guy. That's a you put those put those people on the roster and they give you kind of a roster spot and a half or a roster spot in three quarters. Yeah, and he seemed very excited to be a Chicago Bear, so that was cool. He's already a Cal Bear. I was going to say he's, you he's know, just like changing he flavors. Like, he's going from yeah. Golden Bears to Bears, so he's he's good. And Ebner as well is also Ebner's, a bear. yeah. Ebner's so a Baylor Bear. Maybe so. maybe that's Pole's type is Bears. <laughs> maybe. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the undrafted free agent uh, pool. There was some requests on Twitter that we get a little bit deeper into the pool that you went into with Bill. I want to actually ask you about Master Teague to start for sure. The, the running back who who off the charts testing. Yeah. Um, what do you think about him? He's interesting. I he had a lot of uh, a lot of hype. He was super well recruited coming into Ohio State. Obviously a, a tremendous athlete with some pretty bursty highlights um never i don't want to say never really got on track at ohio state but it didn't didn't have the kind of success didn't reach the heights that a lot of uh sort of buckeye backers expected when he arrived on campus um has a ton of physical talent i'm fascinated to see where he's at because he looked like he wasn't fully either healthy or engaged this year didn't didn't play a ton um, could have been struggling with injury. I'm just fascinated to see what he, where he's at and what he really is, because in terms of potential, hell yeah. Um, in terms of actuality, I'm going to be a little bit more wait and see after this last, uh, season at Ohio state, but the guy they invited on a camp invite also from Ohio, but the other Ohio, Ohio university, uh, Demontre Tuggle is really, I had fun with his film. A little bit smaller, real compact, um, runs with really good balance, uh, very uh, kind of skittery feet. <laughs> it's, it's funny, his, his torso is very upright and his his lower body moves around a lot, uh, but but real effective. Again, you know, camp invites have the ultimate long shot to stick. Like they have to be basically invited after rookie mini camp to sign a contract. That's that's yeah. one or two guys. And, and, you know, uh, typically every year it's one or two guys that they see that they want to keep around. And there's, I don't know, there's probably, uh, 10 guys who are camp invites on this. So his chances aren't great, but his, his tape was real fun. Uh, a couple guys that I, I don't know if you mentioned on Bill's show, but Jalen Jones and Derek Bush corners. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Jones from Mississippi, Derek Bush from coastal Carolina. I saw you tweet out up there. Yeah. Bush highlight. Uh, any thoughts on those guys? I really like both of them. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Jones. I uh, went back and watched because I didn't end up watching very much of the old miss 
secondary. I watched Old Miss linebacking for one of their linebackers who was drafted and a defensive line for Sam Williams, the edge rusher, who was a, a late add to the senior bowl, but really didn't focus on the secondary because there weren't that many players in the Old Miss secondary. So I, I went back and watched tape first uh, and then looked at his RAS score <laughs> and yeah. was like, holy crap. Like we're talking four, three, low four, four, good size, aggressive, like, and an SEC corner. Whenever you tell me you've got a starting SEC corner who runs a four, three, I'm, I'm kind of interested right off the bat. Um, so Jalen's Jalen's definitely a guy. And then Derek Bush, uh, I, I didn't remember, but boy, going through his highlights, he's been there a few years now. And I remembered him because I've watched a lot of coastal over the last two or three years. I was like, Oh yeah. And he made that play and he made that play. Guy that played outside and held up against some of the best receivers, uh, even in this draft. He had some really good reps against Jalen Tolbert from the University of South Alabama. Um, doesn't give up a lot outside, but I think naturally is going to move into nickel, and I'm cool with that. Like I am totally fine with that guy sitting behind Tavon Young and doing what he does. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't have the, the most top-end speed. That shows up on field also on his 40 time, but his short area burst is every bit about it. And he is really physical. So I think he's a natural for nickel. That's awesome. Is there any other guys that you want to, you think are at least worth talking about here? I mean, I, I think there's a lot, actually. I think you mentioned Jake Tongas uh, on the last yeah. show, but like Chase Allen, the guy from Southern Illinois, so yeah. maybe some local interest. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. I've been through pretty much the entire class now in terms of UDFA and camp invite. Um, talked about the running backs. Obviously, folks want to talk about wide receiver, and we should uh, because I think polls did tell the staff, yep, we're going to get wide receivers, and nope, we're not going to pay for them. Like, <laughs> we're not going to spend draft picks on them. So, you know, we're going to spend one. So, I need you all, you scouts, to go scour and fill in the gaps. And you love Alec Pierce? Cool. I love Alec Pierce, too. Find me an Alec Pierce I don't have to pay for. You love Calvin Austin, the fast return slot guy? Go find me two or three that I don't have to pay for. And he did. Um, Savon Scarver from Utah State is crazy fast, has seven career return touchdowns. Um, guy ran a 22-1-200. Like, that's Olympic fast. Like, and not big, um, but fast. And... Uh, the guy they got from Liberty, Kevin Shaw, same thing, smaller, compact, uh, more slot or, you know, outside deep guy also has return versatility, which is why I'm saying the special teams are going to be right. just lit. You've got, you know, Ebner, you've got Phyllis Jones, you've got both of these guys. Um, there are other, there are defensive backs they brought in that have return ability. Um, uh, uh, you mentioned him for Mississippi, the the corner. Jalen Jones. Uh, yeah, Jalen Jones has a return touchdown on kickoff. Like, okay, like it's going to be really interesting to see him try and sort those guys out at camp. Um, the one I'm most interested in, because everybody talked about X, right? We need big playmaking X, is Cyrus Holder from Duquesne. He is not that far off Alec Pierce's profile, uh, either physically or athletically. He's a little bit shorter. He's not quite as explosive, but he is just as fast, actually slightly faster. Um, and I watched uh, Duquesne. This is, I was just looking, I was like, do I have Duquesne tape? I don't think I do. <laughs> oh, I do. It's against TCU. Oh, and I was okay. like, oh, they're going to get crushed. Like Duquesne is not in the same 
league physically or or otherwise as tcu tcu is chock full of top flight athletes just like texas oklahoma whatever so i was like they're gonna get massacred uh and they did but i (laughs) and they did and they did it was not surprising but it was really interesting to see how they use him so duquesne didn't use him like they literally threw three balls to him in this game yeah Two of them were big plays. <laughs> like one, he was running step for step with the cornerback, and then the quarterback threw it three and a half yards inside him. Like he didn't really have a shot at it. Um, the other two were big plays. Like he jumped over the TCU corner, grabbed the ball, touched his feet. One was 15, 20 yards, and the other was like 25 yards. So they threw it to him. They he literally had three targets past the line of scrimmage. Two of them were big plays, one of them was a terrible throw. This is a big, fast guy. Does he need to work on releases? He does, but he can win down the field, and there's plenty of tape of him doing that against non-TCUs. But so many times he's taken two steps and blocking, taking two steps and blocking, taking two steps and blocking. Um, so I'm really interested to see what they might be able to unlock because you got Justin Fields. Like, get this guy deep down the field on a nine route and see what happens. Um, right. Is it going to be Alec Pierce? No, but is it a really interesting player that was underutilized in college? It is. The other one is Landon Lennar from Southern Illinois. This looks like a pro receiver. This looks like a guy that can be the number three, number four, uh, work in the slot, work outside, rotate to Z. He's got good size, great hands, runs good routes, sets people up. He's physical. Like This looks like a guy you can plug in. Um, I'm not going to say he's going to be a fan favorite because he's not super flashy, but he is productive and he knows what the hell he's doing in terms of playing receiver. So if we're sort of, you know, throwing bets on who sticks, I would not be at all surprised to see Landon Lenore stick uh, because he just, he looks like a guy that could play. Now he's going to have to play special teams because he's going to be wide receiver five or six on this team. Um, don't know about his special teams prowess, but just from a like catching the ball standpoint, I have a feeling, you know, Justin's going to be going to the coaches after practice and be like, that guy's always in the right spot and he always catches the ball, keep him around. Um, and even if he makes practice squad, it's a, it's a huge win off UDFA. Um, in terms of the tight ends, I talked about Jake Tongas. He is a down the seam tight end. He's not great at blocking. He's not uh, super great underneath. I was actually much more intrigued to see chase allen from iowa state now i'm sorry i know you're a hawkeye don't really like the cyclones but um chase allen is great chase allen is a really cool player who is incredibly useful and is overlooked because his other tight end charlie kohler was the highly sought after recruited one that had all the receiving stats and if you watched a lot of iowa state tape looking at brock purdy or charlie kohler Funny thing happened on the way to the forum. You ended up seeing a lot of like really sort of tough Chase Allen catches over people along the sidelines, like not not too many deep. He's really tall, so he's got long arms and he works the underneath really well. He can block. He I don't want to call him gritty. He's tough. He's a trench player. He will do all that stuff, but then he'll pop out and get an eight, nine yard reception and look really good doing it. He's got strong hands. Um crazy story got hit by a car freshman year so like had a year and a half sort of medical red shirt came back to to play you know really good football for iowa state and just showed up a lot on the tape when you're supposed to be watching the other tight end you're like wait oh no that's that's chase allen so when he showed up i thought 
again, as a, as a guy, you can rotate through that tight end rotation and do a couple of things like need him to block. Okay, sure. Need him to go get a, you know, five yard out. Yeah. He presents a really big target and he's reliable. So I, I low key feeling chase Allen is at least on the practice squad this year. Yeah. I, I said Southern Illinois. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm looking at my notes, but I'm looking at my notes of all the things that I posted with through RAS and I made the mistake well, I didn't make the mistake. I typed in Chase Allen and it popped out a, a Chase Allen from years ago from yes. Southern Illinois. And I have it corrected on the thread, but I wasn't looking at the corrected one. I was looking at the it's old right. one. So I, this is me un, unintentionally throwing shade at an Iowa yeah. State player. I was like, you I didn't just even trying mean to, to do that. You were just and trying I to so hide There's just an instinct to I know. just throw it's, the Cyclones under the bus. It's your thread. Yes. It's, it's we're just, not going to cut your thread. Yeah, it is what it is. So sorry, sorry to no, that's the, uh, good. the Allen um, family. Um, but wrong <laughs> Allen. One of the tackles is good. The other two, I think, are just kind of invites. Um, and that's uh, turns out it's Jean Delance, the French pronunciation from Florida. Guy I saw at the Shrine Bowl. Uh, I again practice squad more than like competing for starter, but has some traits. Played in a major conference showed some good things there. So in terms of like grabbing one out of the bin and, and seeing if you can develop them. Um, I like Daylon say a lot. Um, who else did I watch? The linebackers are really interesting. Looks like they're going for strong side linebacker. That's the sort of, I yeah. really believe they believe in Morrow next to Roquan. Um, the guy they got from the Raiders. Um, I talked to Ted who we had on bears over beers about him and said, is this legit? And he said, yeah, last year was the, really the year that it looked like Morrow made the, the jump from being a former safety who played linebacker to being a linebacker and making the linebacker plays. So Ted feels like Morrow's ascending and kind of got picked in the right spot, um, by the bears. So I, I really think they think that's their inside rotation and they're looking for that Sam linebacker who's going to play. Yeah, 15 to 20 snaps a game and they brought in a lot of guys that could do it yeah <laughs> they brought in jack sanborn from wisconsin who a lot of people will yeah, know people from like. looking at leo chanel's tape because he cleaned up all of leo chanel's messes like chanel is a is a drinkster he will go in and bust stuff and sanborn is a is a very calculating player he moves well in the short area um, has some decent straight line speed, has some tight hips, but he he cleaned up a lot of messes because he is a he is a seek and hit linebacker. Um, so again, sounds like an SLB to me. Um, the other guys all are sort of all over the board, like Jalen Alexander from Purdue, same thing. He is a go get him, you know, shoot through athletic linebacker. They played him a little middle, a little bit on the outside, but he has a lot of TFL highlights. Um, and then CJ Avery from louisville i don't know what his deal is i think he was hurt or just maybe out of football because the highlights i found were from like 2018 2019 at louisville so he either took a hiatus or did something but he was really athletic um and had some big time highlights against it's always funny looking at old highlights you're like oh yeah i remember him from the other team um and is is built like well, you know, the old Nebraska running backs from like the eighties, sure. <laughs> like half shirt, neck roll, the neck roll, right. Like, exactly where I, what I thought of. Yep. Yeah. Bottom, you know, bottom half that looks like they could run through a center block wall. Like that's the way that CJ Avery's built. So I don't know what his story is, but the, the highlights he had were, were pretty hot. So we'll see, uh, Christian Albright from ball state again, another linebacker that, um, 
can run um better athlete than i expected quite frankly out of ball state no no offense to our ball state listeners but that guy is rocked up and i don't know if he got that way during pre-draft training or he was always that way but um they showed some of the highlights from his pro day and i was like oh okay why why were you at ball state tested really well good size so they're really looking for that slb they wanted it for free they know it's not a high volume position and they went go find me some fire breathers that fell off the map and you know we'll line four or five of them up and pick one uh and that's what they did good stuff man i want to finish with this uh 2023 draft outlook as we you know i'm not going to put you in the film room yet okay so that's not what what i'm saying (laughs) because i would run at this point i think that it's important to kind of have a, a look forward and you know, just just to kind of I, I want to dig a little bit more into try to develop some kind of profile. Now it's one year. There's there's no mm-hmm. way that you can you have enough data to predict what Ryan Poles will be into the future. But this is the first real piece of data that we have. I want to kind of see are there are there things that really tie this class together? What is it that he's interested in? You know, and start to build a case, and we'll, we'll be able to add to that in 2023. But one thing that caught my mind is Jim Nagy, who runs the Senior Bowl. He, he tweeted out, he's, uh, I think it was yesterday, and he said, uh, we saw a big early run at wide receiver position in last week's NFL draft with six taken in the top 18 picks. Based off Senior Bowl pre- preliminary grades for all Power 5 conference prospects, next year's senior wideout class will be significantly better than the 2022 group wide receiver don't trending up. And I, I I can't help but believe that this year, which is likely not going to be great in the record books, um, really sets itself up to, uh, we need to really keep an eye on the, the, this top heavy wide receiver class and see which one makes the most sense to pair with Justin, because it sure looks like that's what the 2023 draft is going to look like. But what else do you kind of know about this class coming out any thoughts about what's going to happen um with this senior class or the you know juniors that might come out as well yeah juniors is always a it's a complete you know quarter toss at this time of year it is really even through the season you might you hear a lot about oh he's leaning what i guys make their decisions for so many different reasons i just wait everybody's like aren't you watching this guy i'm like he's a junior he could say I'm going back and I spent, you know, hours and hours watching him and, you know, it's good for next year, but I don't, I don't have that kind of time. Uh, so juniors, I don't really mess with, but Jim's not wrong about the wide receiver class. Um, you know, it, the sort of micro view of that is Ohio state, right? So this year, two wide receivers picked in the top round, which is not uncommon for Ohio state seem to do it every, every year or two, they have one or two in the top two rounds. Um, So that was the room at Ohio state. And the third guy is better than both guys that got picked in the first round. And that's not me saying that that's both of those guys. Yeah. Wilson and Olave talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba and going, no, that's, that's the dude. Right. Like, think about that. That's like, impressive. And that's and it's not like any of those guys won the Blitnikoff this last year. No, but in Jackson Smith and Jigba, even when those guys were on the field in in uh, Ryan Day's offense, is like 
they deferred to Jackson Smith and Jigbo. Like he was yeah. the primary this year. And when they didn't play in the bowl game, both of them, because they were prepping for pre-draft, he had 300 yards in the Rose Bowl. Like unreal. One guy, 300 yards. I was watching that game and I was like, this is, you know, and he was playing against Utah. Utah's a loaded defense. Like they couldn't stop him. And so there's him. LSU has a really, really high profile wide receiver that'll be right up there sort of competing for wide receiver one, depending on what happens. Uh, Jordan Addison, who was uh, Kenny Pickett's main target at Pitt and has now entered the transfer portal. It's pretty widely reported that he's going to end up at USC. Um, Sam Howell's top target uh, I really like is is kind of a Jordan Addison clone. Uh, he kept popping off on film, not too many other receivers, because, again, uh, UNC graduated uh, both Tiami Brown and Jazz, Daz Newsome last year, so it was kind of down. But <laughs> it's this one redshirt sophomore that was like, man, he's fast. I like him. So there's a lot of receivers that will pop off. We talked about the quarterback class looking to be stronger. It probably will be. Um, the offensive tackle class looks like it will be a little bit stronger. There were three really good guys at the top and then, you know, sort of take your, take your pick, take your flavor this year. Probably next year we're looking at um, five, maybe six guys, uh, a return to, you know, year before where we had four or five guys that were sort of all in that top tier, including one from Northwestern. So a lot of bears fans will be, be excited uh, about their left tackle prospect. Um, that's that's sort of the early returns on the class. We'll we'll see where it shakes out. I think running back is is kind of always going to be strong because again we we're talking about a bunch of UDFA running backs and they look good. Um, so you can get them down low. Uh, are there going to be top tier running backs? Yep, you got Bijan Robinson in Texas who's already kind of staking the claim that, and he's he's legit. Like he's a real deal. If you've watched him run, you're like. Mm. Whenever, whenever he comes out, that's he's going to be in the conversation for RB1. So uh, it'll be fascinating to watch, but I really feel like probably barring some massive trade that all of us do not expect out of Ryan Poles this year, there's still going to be a hole at we need that dominant X wide receiver. We need our say whatever you want, Devontae Adams, New Hopkins. Like we, we need the, the big guy that we could go to all the time. And I think they'll probably go looking for that uh, up high, um, barring some really unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. And, and the other thing that you mentioned that I think is important. And again, if there are a lot of things that will happen and we're not predicting that the bears are going to go one and 16 or anything like that, but you know, if the bears are in a position where they have a very high pick and you have a strong quarterback class and you have teams that, are below them in the draft order that need that quarterback. This changes a cat. It's one of those years like last year where a lot of teams spent a lot of draft capital trading up to get one of those quarterbacks. The bears could be in one of those positions where they're able to move back, still get the impact wide receiver that they're looking for and collect a lot of extra draft capital, which is going to be important in rebuilding this team moving forward. And so you have, giant free agent capital available to you starting next year you have you know you have the full complement of picks you did not dip into the picks you know people say, oh he's traded his six well he traded the six rounder back to to san diego from that um 
San Diego, dang it, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Chargers from from that uh, Mac trade. They said, you know what? I'd actually rather have the two sevenths now. You can have your six rounder back. So you know he's got a full complement of picks. Um, you know if it happens to be up high, those those are worth more. Uh, you're in a position to maybe trade out and it's, again still fill that huge need because there's going to be a lot of guys. There may be enough quarterbacks to make that trade down worth it. And so I don't know, man. Like I'm really hopeful. Like I I, I had a lot. There was. There were enough good things out of Ryan Poles in his first draft that I felt pretty good coming out of it. And, and I'm really excited to see what some of these young guys look like here in camp and moving forward into training camp in, in August. And, you know, I mean, can we kick off? What's what's up? Yeah, it's uh, it's really it's exciting and it'll be exciting and it's not over yet. Right. Right. Um, no, absolutely not. There's uh Part of this, and I mentioned this on on Bill's show, is there, the UDFA class and the camp invite class are huge. Talking about like uh, almost the entire size of the whole league, which is like sixteen hundred guys, are in camp right now. They all have jobs with ninety man rosters, and they're all going to get cut down. And some of those players are going to steal vets' jobs. So we're going to see a handful of wide receivers. I don't think we'll see a left tackle. Like, I don't, I don't believe that's probably the case. They're, they're too valuable. So that hole will probably persist and they'll find somebody on this roster that'll play a left tackle for them. But there, it's very possible that a tenured, experienced, solid wide receiver shakes loose and the Bears can go get them because they do have the capital to do it. Now, could be short-term deal. Okay, you know, might we'll see what the circumstances are, but... Um, we just saw uh, a right guard get cut and, you know, got claimed before the bears could claim them in the waiver order. That's going to continue happening through all these cutdowns. and teams have been pretty unsuccessful about getting picks for all those players. They say, right. Oh, uh, and then nobody does anything and they have to cut them. And then it's, you know, waiver wire order or whatever else. Uh, so is it totally possible that they could add a right guard? Like, I think that's completely possible. Maybe even some backups, not that they need them along the line. Um, for not a draft pick, uh, a wide receiver, uh, maybe you you pitch a low round pick for a wide receiver. Maybe you get in a, in a trade war, but I don't think so. I think somebody's going to get cut close to cut downs, especially final cut downs. Somebody's going to sure. try and sneak somebody through and the Bears are going to be like, nope, that guy's a starter for us because our room's not that strong. And they're going to put them on the roster and, you know, by week five or six, they'll be contributing because it takes a little while to get in a groove with the offense and the quarterback. But like, it's not over yet. I think it's exciting. It's ground floor. Like, let, let's, you know, let's do this thing. I, I had a lot of fun uh, covering the draft. I know you had a lot of fun doing your thing with Brett and and thank you for coming over and, and doing one one with me on Saturday. Um, we'll, we'll close out the the podcast here, but Milk Stachio, um, if you see it, you should try it. If you like the dark beer, it's it's enjoyable. It's it's very smooth. Um, you know, you, you do get a little bit of that nuttiness flavor. Um, I, I I enjoy it. it. It was good. I haven't had a dark beer in quite a while, so it was uh, it was fun to get back to that. I've been kind of saving them for these podcasts. So um, there you go. Yeah, it's good. a good excuse to kick it off. What do you got going on? Anything that you want to share? Or are you uh, just napping for a while? I wish I was napping. Uh, we've got one more bootleg episode coming out next week, which is a UDFA roundup. That is my baby. 
uh, I, I locked Brett in a closet this year and said, nope, we're doing a full one. We're not just doing the divisional previews. We're doing a full UDFA episode, uh, which will probably in bootleg fashion be a typically two-hour episode. We will take a break after that for about a week, uh, and then we're going to dive into the off-season divisional previews, which are going to look a little bit different this year. Uh, but same great content going through every move that teams made. Every team, coaching, uh, free agency, losses, additions, drafts, UDFA, scheme, projections. Uh, folks have come to really like those over the last couple of years, so we are going to keep doing them all through the summer, and then that'll that'll roll us into the regular season. Awesome. Well, I'm starting my off-season project, having conversations with different groups of fans. I won't reveal the name of that podcast series yet, but I'm really excited about what I'm doing there. To um, getting the, the temperature of the fan base, really excited uh, to have these conversations and, and we'll be conducting those during the month of May and hope to roll that out in June and July as we get closer to camp. So, um, you know, it's not that far away, guys. You know, enjoy your spring if you can av- you know, try to buy a sunny day somewhere because it hasn't happened here yet. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, enjoy the start of summer and, you know, we'll be with you. We'll We'll come back from time to time in the off season when we can, as we, we get more information, but really appreciate the time, EJ. And until next time, everybody, bear down.